Got a Bible, open them with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to continue the series we started last week uh, here in the Christmas season called Fear Not. In the story of Christmas, there's three different instances where the characters that live in your nativity scenes, if you got one at home, are visited by angels. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Joseph, the stepfather or the earthly father of Jesus. And then the shepherds on the night that Jesus is born are all visited by angels and they all say the same line, fear not. It's uh, understandable. Humans don't always interact with angels. It would be a scary situation for all of us. But uh, it broadens out this this word or this phrase, fear not, occurs all the time in your Bibles, over and over and over again. Uh, Why? Because the world's a scary place. Can I get an amen on that early in the sermon? It's a weird, weird world that we live in, especially if we choose to follow the God who made it. Uh, Most in the world do not agree with us, do not espouse our stance, our, our, our position, our our beliefs, and so uh, it's, it can be a scary place to live in. And over and over through the story of Scripture, uh, those ordinary men and people, just like us, everybody gets that's who's in the book. They're just like us until God says, hey, I need you, and then they have this, uh, this crisis of faith, of, of fear. Well, I don't know if I can do this. And, and God, through his messengers uh, and through his speaking to them, says, hey, man, I got you fear not. In fact, I, I looked this up. There's lots of scholars who believe that there's 365 instances of that phrase, maybe not word for word, but of that uh, idea, fear not, in our Bibles, which I thought, if it's true, I don't know, I haven't counted, but if it is true, it's pretty cool that God gave us a fear not for every day that we live during the year. Uh, we are uh, done talking about Mary's story. Uh, she helped us as she had her interaction with the angel Gabriel last week in Luke chapter 2 to understand what we do when we face the fear of the unknown. How do we move forward into an uncertain future? Today we wanna dive into the story of her husband, Joseph, and this unnamed angel who visits visits him, and we're gonna talk about the fear of what others think. We're gonna talk about um, uh, that uh, impression of ourselves that we put out there and what people think of us in return. We're gonna talk about how that can control us, and it shouldn't and how we should honor God above and over what people think. Uh, Can we all agree that generally it's right to care uh, in most cases about what people think? And here's why I say that. I think uh, the scriptures teach us that we we are meant to be examples uh, to to those around us uh, of what honoring God looks like, of of how we should live and if we're gonna head in his directions. Um, In his direction, here's here's what uh, we want you to see in us. And so when you think of us, we want you to think, This is a man who honors God. This is a woman who chooses to do what he, our God, says. And um, we're certainly supposed to love one another in general, and we're supposed to defer and lessen and and set aside ourselves, our rights, our our, uh, freedoms for the sake of those around us. I'm studying uh, 1 Corinthians right now with my life group on Thursday mornings. We meet right there every Thursday morning. And uh, we're reading what Paul wrote to this church in Corinth. There was this uh, dispute in this church, uh, not something that we have to face, uh, but people were being saved into life with Christ out of pagan religions that worshiped idols, and there would be these foods that were sacrificed to these idols, and early Christians in Corinth were wrestling with whether or not they should eat the food that was left over from those sacrifices. Uh, The Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 had forbidden 
the eating of food uh, sacrificed to idols for these early Gentile believers. It's one of the signs that they had truly moved from the worship of false gods into the worship of the one true God. And so that was a standard. But here, later on in the story of Christianity, Paul, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, is like, hey man, food's food. It doesn't save you, it doesn't condemn you. If there's a burger laying around that had originally, you know, been offered in some other temple, and it's, you know, a good burger, I mean, not with ketchup on it, but like if it's a good burger, you know, go ahead. But he says some interesting things there. He says, but listen, if there's people in your midst whose consciences would be led astray by you eating food that had been sacrificed to temples, guess what? Don't eat it. Set aside what is your right to do for the sake of the thinking of the conscience of the other person. Prefer, it says there, the weaker brother in this case. And set your rights and freedoms aside. So obviously, there are certain cases where uh, we should care what other people think. We want to point them to Jesus. And where our actions would lead them away from him, let's change and do the things that would lead them in their thoughts towards God. But today we want to talk about how this can go too far. We could take this whole caring about others th- what others think uh, you know, way beyond what it's meant to be, and we can start fearing what other thinks, others think and, and, and prizing their thoughts, their approvals over the approval of God in our lives. It's an age-old story. Uh, I think you could even argue that Adam uh, knew that he wasn't supposed to eat the fruit, but in that one moment where Eve offered it to him, he sought the approval of his bride over the approval of his God, and here we are, right? How's it going? Uh, As old as humans is this problem of seeking the approval of others. When we seek human approval over God's approval, we make humans our idol. I, I, uh, I know all of us to varying degrees have dealt with this at different times in our lives. For me, the strongest uh, that this feeling was in my life occurred in middle school from the ages of like 12 to 15. You want to see a picture of me when I'm 14? Here it is. That's me, 14-year-old Mark, yeah. Thank you. Yes, I'm holding the tree up. GQ has called and uh, yeah, something like that. I, uh, you see my teeth? Answer, no. You know why? They were covered with braces. Not the cool braces like you kids have these days. I had the train track braces. Does anybody remember these? Uh, they stuck out of your face with like arrows and, and sharp you know, points. And uh, um, I was convinced that when I smiled, everybody was looking at my braces. And, uh, and so therefore, I didn't open my mouth very much. Uh, for pictures or anything else uh, in the ages that I had braces. My, uh, just so you can know how bad my teeth are, or were, my orthodontist who took the, the imprint of my teeth you know, before he started his work, put it on his desk so that other customers, he could hold it up and say, I fixed this, and that, that's, that was my teeth. Anyway, uh, that, was, that was awkward. Uh, and so I did my best to compensate. Uh, I would uh, spend, you know, way more time than I do now getting ready for going to school or anything else. I'd, I had that zipper head. You can kind of see it in the picture there. I had that zipper head where, you know, the feather. Anybody remember the 80s feather? You had to feather your hair just, per, just so. And it had to kind of just go back perfectly in these ways. And then it had to just kind of flip, just a little flip right there, right? Just kind of like Thor's wings. You know what I'm talking about? Just flip. 
I mean, I would work on that so hard. Hairspray, the whole thing. I mean, I'm 13 years old, and I'm convinced that as soon as I step off the bus or I walk down the hall, everybody's going to be like, hmm, he didn't work hard on his hair today. That's what I was thinking. I wanted to wear the right clothes. It's not as big a deal these days, but when I was going to school, it was Izod Lacoste. You had to have an alligator on your shirt. We didn't have Izod money in my house, and so my sister and I would buy socks from the Goodwill, and they would have the Izod alligator, and I'd have my mom sew them onto my Kmart shirts, which is sad. You should say, oh, there should be pity in this room right now, because how stupid is that? that I would go to that length and have an obviously sewn on alligator on my shirt just so I could in my mind fit in. Caring about what others think too much can start to alter who you actually are at your core. I wasn't a big cheater in school. I just I couldn't be bothered. I was too lazy. So. Uh, uh, and, you know, I just, I mean, fortunately was able to kind of sail through most of the classes well enough that I didn't have to cheat or worry about it or whatever. And uh, I'm in eighth grade and I'm sitting in an English class. We're having our final exam. And uh, sitting behind me is Stacy Hunter. Stacy sat at the cool table. Eight years later, I'd be uh, standing up with her uh, fiance in, in their wedding. Um, but at this particular time in our history, uh, I was not sitting at that table. In fact, I was several tables away. Are you with me? And I thought to myself, man, I'd love to be in that crowd. I kind of, um, you know, raised them up in my estimation. I could just hang with those people. And I'd be, be awesome. And so uh, we're in this uh, final exam, and, and Stacy's sitting behind me, and, and we've just started the test. And I flipped over the first page, and I'm working on the, the, the rest of it, and, and I feel her pencil tap my back, and she gives me the universal sign for let me cheat. Just slide over a little bit so I can see your answers as you write them down. And in that moment, I had a choice. I knew it was right. I, I, I knew that this was not me. I wasn't a cheater. But in my head, I did the quick math. Hey, if I let Stacy cheat off me, maybe at lunchtime, she'll tell all of her friends that I let her do this and I'll be elevated instantly like some, you know, uh, uh, you know 80s movie uh, into, you know, this upper echelon of, of you know, social strata and, and they'll invite me to eat my PB&J with them all because I let her cheat off my, my paper. That's what, I, that's what my head did. That's what your head has done at times as you've succumbed to the pressure of peer and of pleasing people. So I let her cheat off me. We both failed. Oh, well. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe we did, but, uh, but I certainly didn't get asked to eat at the table. But it didn't stop me, you know, as I went through middle school and, and even into my adult years. Now listen, of course, I hope you can hope this about me, I am not as susceptible, I don't care what you think of what I wear. I shop at, uh, at uh, you know, uh, Costco and Sam's. I am clothed by Costco and Sam's, what's up? And if you don't like it, I don't care, it's fine. Uh, I comb my hair in the morning, uh, mostly to, you know, satisfy Eleanor. I don't care if my hair's, you know, I'd preach in a hat if you let me, you know, and, uh, I don't care, but even at 53 years old, I still find myself in some situations caring about what total strangers think about me. Isn't that weird? 
Don't you think we'd progress beyond that? But all of a sudden, I'll be in this uncertain situation, and I'll be, I'll be like, oh, this person, he makes way more money than I do, or this person is, is a far more successful pastor than I am, or this person, and I'm, and I'm all of a sudden just hyper-focused on what people I don't even know think about me. What is that? Oh, it's human frailty. It's the effects of sin. We grade ourselves against each other. We want to be liked. We, we want to be included. And it plagues us. And in its worst forms, it keeps us from what God would have for us in life. And so I want to talk to you about that today. As we go through the story of Joseph, it's not written word for word in here. I'm going to confess that right away. But I think in the story of Joseph, there are moments where he is considering perhaps how is this going to look? And we're going to watch what he does and learn from his choices in his story. Matthew 1.18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Matthew is summarizing for us what we studied last week in the book of Luke in Mary's portion uh, of this uh, pre-birth uh, aspect of, of, of Christmas. Uh, when his mother Mary, verse 18, had been betrothed to Joseph at some time, that had been arranged, uh, before they came together, uh, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That's going to skip down to verse 19 and tell us what Joseph is planning to do as a result of receiving this news. But at some point, which goes unrecorded in our Gospels, uh, Mary has the conversation with Joe. They've been, you know, long promised to each other. The way uh, Hebrew weddings were, would work uh, most of the time is that the father of the bride would determine when the wedding day would, de- would be. You'd actually send off for the groom, and he'd come to your house and take your daughter away. There was all kinds of other customs that were associated with that. But they're just waiting for this day when they're going to be wed, knew of each other, certainly weren't dating like you and I did before we got married. They're they're just promised to each other. It's legal, by the way, I should mention this. If you were engaged in the uh, culture of Israel 2,000 years ago, it was as if you were married, just not yet. And so if you wanted to end the engagement, it was by legal divorce that you would end that that engagement. So Joseph, waiting to be married to this sweet young girl Mary, probably not far past middle school herself, uh, has this unrecorded conversation. I want to see it. Does anybody want to like roll tape on this one? Hey, Joe, so looking forward to being your wife. Uh, so grateful, you know, that I get to be uh, tied to you and your family. Uh, can't wait for the day. But while we're waiting, can I just let you in on a little nugget here? Uh, it's been made clear to me by an angel uh, that I'm pregnant and the Father is God himself, the Holy Spirit, and uh, uh, I'm going to give birth to the Son of God. And before we get together, I thought maybe you should know. All right. Have a great day. I'm heading to Publix. Is that okay? Is everybody with me on this? Uh, anybody anybody want to see Joseph's response when he gets the news? Pardon me? What did you just say? You're pregnant. That's what I heard. And you're telling me? that it's by the Holy Spirit that you're pregnant? Listen, Mary, I sat in the same health class as you did. I know that's not how this works. And how dare you? Did anybody think that maybe there was some how dare you in that one? How dare you assume that that will be okay? That's the best you can do? An angel? I picture Joseph kind of getting on his donkey and just peeling out, right? He's just out of there. We're not doing this. 
And he heads off and he considers his options. And that's what we see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, her husband, he, he's already called her husband, Joseph, uh, was a just man and was unwilling to put her to shame. And so he resolves to divorce her quietly. Uh, we got this guy, Joseph. He ends up raising the son of God as a stepfather. Uh, we don't have a ton of information about him. We know he's a, he's a, a strong man, a courageous man. When uh, A couple years from now, when Jesus has uh, lived on the earth and, and the king of the time, Herod, decides that he's going to wipe out any potential threat to his throne by killing all of the children under uh, you know, two years of age in Jerusalem. Now, Joseph is the one who takes Mary and the baby Jesus away from uh, Israel and into Egypt and, and keeps them there until it's safe for them to return. So we know he's a man of action. Uh, spoiler alert, we know he sticks around, okay? But as far as knowing him, this is really all we get. This is the one bio entry on Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. He's a just man. What can we say about Joseph? He knows the rules and he keeps them. That's why in these early moments he's determined, I can't be with Mary. I cannot be party to whatever she's done in becoming pregnant and be sullied myself by her choices. So this is done, we're, we're through. I am not moving forward in this relationship. I would be complicit with her sin. He's a just man, but he's a merciful man. It says there that he was unwilling to put her to shame, kind of read in their maximum shame. Sure, there's gonna be some shame. They're not moving forward with their marriage, but he could certainly, by right, go to the city officials and say, hey, Mary just told me she's pregnant outside of wedlock, and if you were here last week, that does not end well for Mary. Mary would be brought before a court. She would be found guilty, indeed, uh, for being a harlot. And in that culture, ladies, if you were pregnant outside of marriage, they took you outside the city streets and you were stoned until you were found dead. That was it. It was a capital offense. So Joseph uh, does not wish this on Mary. He's a just man, but he's merciful as well. And so what he does is he figures out in his mind uh, that he will seek to divorce Mary quietly on the down low. In such a way that maybe she can navigate this season of life and go on to, to continue in life in, in, with someone else in some other way. Uh, maybe he thought, you know, uh, her family would send her away. Like uh, if, if you grew up in Ireland in the century previous to this one and, and the years before that, and especially in Irish Catholic Ireland, if you were found pregnant, uh, it could be from your parish priest or from a family member or whatever, but, but if you were just found pregnant before you were married, uh, they would send you to what were called the Magdalene laundries. These laundries were set up by the Catholic Church to basically uh, hide women until they gave birth to their children and they could be adopted out. But then they became kind of a prison, a de facto prison for these women. They'd live there for the rest of their lives in shame, apart from their families, so that the shame wouldn't rest on those families. And uh, there's, you can watch documentaries on Netflix about them. It's just terrible. But this is what they would do to cover up uh, you know, this perceived um, sin and provide for the reputations of families moving forward. Maybe uh, that's what Joseph hoped for Mary, she'd figure out a way to kind of hide this and move on. But this is where we gotta, you know, maybe read between some lines. And I do not recommend this as you read your Bibles. Please do not read things into your Bibles. I pray I'm not doing that, okay? 
But I think just by the sheer fact that Joseph is trying to figure out a workaround, there is probably on some level a concern. Certainly for Mary, in 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 the eyes of other people, how is she going to be viewed? And then maybe even for himself, in the eyes of the public, how am I going to be viewed? Let's take care of this in such a way that the least is lost in the estimations of those around us. Hmm. Was Joseph afraid of what people think? If he, uh, if he was, he's not like the rest of us. Anybody ever had that conversation with someone when, when some revelation, a negative story came to light? What are people going to say? It's one of the first things that we go to. Not how are we going to handle this in our family, how are we going to sort through this for you in your life. One of the first things that we do is like, oh, what will people think? Hmm. Like I said, uh, Joseph stays. He gets past these initial ideas and determines he's going to see this through. Uh, But what I want to do with the rest of our time together is just kind of learn from Joseph and his decisions about how we can face the the pressure of wanting to please people and choose God instead. In fact, that's the first thing I want to share with you as you walk away today. Remember this. We are not here to fear what people think about us. Don't fear what people think about you. Why? Because it will keep you and I from honoring God's plan for our life. If Joseph just stays the course and just worries about how his reputation is going to be affected, among other things, and doesn't pursue and persist the plan that God has for him in raising Uh, his son here on earth, Uh, we got a different story to react to. But he he does. He he sets aside those fears and seeks to honor God instead. Most of us would probably get this right if we took an exam right now. True or false, ready? Our chief purpose in life is pleasing God, not people. True or false? Good play, everyone. Hoped you would get that one. It's 100% true. It's a central theme of Scripture. One of the first verses I ever memorized as a young Christian uh, was uh, the, the verse in Matthew 6, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first God and his righteousness. Put God first. I, I, I was like six years old and I was like, oh, I get that. I didn't have to understand the context of the Sermon on the Mount and the fact that people were fearful about what they were going to eat or wear. Jesus had assured them, listen, if God feeds the birds, if God clothes the fields, you know, with beauty and the flowers, if he does that for these uh, lesser things in his creation, how much more is he going to take care of you who are created in his image? Don't worry about tomorrow, he goes on to say. Just put God first. That's the purpose of your life. Later on, Paul is uh, writing to the church in Colossae, and he has a similar message to share there. In verse 17 of chapter 3, Paul says this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's, this, you hear this a lot in the scriptures. Do this in the name of the Lord Jesus, or in the name of God. It's this, it's this picture of us being able to take the signature stamp of our God on our thoughts, our actions, and our words and saying, God approved. He would put his name to these things in my life. I'm doing this for his sake first, so that he's honored, so that it's in line with what he stands for. 
We who follow Jesus, it's just who we are. We are God first people, at least that's how it's supposed to be. I know we wrestle with it, but can we all agree theoretically that's what must be first in our lives? God, his glory, his honor. When we talk about who we are, here's a question for you. Does God come up? You're like, sometimes, I mean, if I'm at another church and da-da-da-da-da and I'm around the other people that believe in him, I talk about God all the time. I'm not talking about then. I'm talking about when you're hanging out. When you make a birdie putt on the golf course, do you give glory to God? Or do you pump your fist and you know, adore yourself? Uh, that's, one of my, that's one of my favorite things. When, I, when, I say, when, I, when something good happens in the world that I'm around, I say, yay God, glory to God. I, I just do it reflexively now. And people look at me like, okay. I guess you found a parking spot there. I guess God's in charge of that. Anyway, uh, but when you talk about just your life, when you talk about what you do for a living, does God come into it? It does when I do. And it's, it's a temperature changer, just so you know. Hey, we're hanging out, you know. Like we just, uh, I was a plus one this Friday, Eleanor's uh, work uh, party was at our house. We had 50 people and their spouses, you know, whatever her employees, 50 people total, came over to my house and had a bonfire in our backyard, blah, blah, blah. It was fun. But all night, I was just Eleanor's husband. It was so fun for me to introduce myself. Hi, my name is Mark. I'm Eleanor's husband. Hi, I'm Mark. I'm Eleanor's husband. And some people who didn't know me, most of them did, uh, but some people who didn't know me, they would, they would ask, oh, so I know Eleanor is the, you know, the executive director of Echo or whatever. What do you do? Here we go, all right? Well, I'm a pastor at a local church. See ya. Okay. I'm gonna, they don't say it like that, but that's basically what they're saying. Oh, really? Wonder who else I could talk to here. Okay. And, I, you know, I used to be like, oh, here we go. You know what? I kind of like that now. Instantly. Who I am with God is a part of my conversation with people. They don't have to guess. I'm a paid Christian. What's up? No, you, let's talk about you. When you meet people out in the world, does God come up? I listened to some uh, other pastor preach about this same kind of thing. And he said, you know what you should say whenever someone asks you what you do or who you are? You start with this. I am a Christ follower, cleverly disguised as an insurance agent, <laughs> as a high school teacher, as a pool store owner. I am a follower of Jesus Christ who happens to work for the American government. I didn't know that happened. <laughs> but start with Jesus. Put him out there. Put him first. In fact, that's one of my takeaways for you this week. Find places in your normal run of life where God has not been brought up to bring him up. Go across the street and ask your friends to come to Christmas Eve. They might not you know, invite me to the next cookout. All right, cook your own burgers for a couple parties. I don't care, but just inject some God into what's going on in your life. We just kind of, we think church and God here, me and the rest of my life here. No, God here, God there. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Who happens to bag groceries at Publix? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ who has a Facebook account. I don't know if Jesus is in your Facebook. He should be if you follow him. Should be like the first line of your bio. And that first line of your bio, by the way, should influence the next things that you post. 
Let Jesus have your Facebook account. In fact, I know tons of you look at Facebook while I'm preaching. So right now, as you're looking at Facebook, just go ahead. You can go into your settings. Change your bio. Relationship status with Jesus. How about that? Because here's the deal. If we aren't intentionalizing prioritizing God, it's so easy to put other things in the place that she, he should solely have in our lives. Even the approval of other people. And can I just tell you that when you put the approval of man over the approval of God, things are headed in the wrong direction. I could tell you story after story. The first year I moved, when I moved to Florida, uh, I was a, a young pastor, being a senior pastor for the first year, uh, but I, I immediately fell in love with our people, and their heartaches were my heartaches. There was a, a family in our church uh, that I just love. Uh, they're no longer living here in Florida, but, but at the time, their high school son, just recently out of high school, had fallen in with the wrong crowd. He'd tell you this now. He's, he's past this season of his life, but at the time, he would tell you, looking back on it, I fell in with the wrong group of guys, and it changed the course of my entire life. This guy was hanging out with one of his friends uh, who fancied himself a drug dealer, didn't know he had a gun, and, and as they were uh, hanging out in this drug deal, gone wrong, his friend pulls the gun and shoots the other guy that was with he and his friend in the head. And this kid who sat in these chairs and hung out at this church growing up with his family was uh, brought into the disposal of this body. He was found guilty of the same crime because he was there. And he went to prison, and I'm sitting on the front bench of a court trial in the first six months of my being the pastor at this church, watching the effects of choosing the approval of men over the approval of God. Now, that's an extreme situation. And again, like I said, I found out after last service, this guy's out, he's married, he loves Jesus, he's got a baby, and he's letting that period of his life change how he lives this period of his life. Gives glory to God. But that's what can happen and has happened. Maybe it happened to you. You got in the wrong uh, friendship, the wrong uh, marriage, the wrong relationships. You, you prioritized people over God and it took you down a road you just didn't want to be on. Holidays are here. Your family's coming or you're going there. And maybe Jesus is a hush-hush conversation. Some of you, you're all from Christian, some of you, the whole family, everybody loves Jesus and that's an easy, easier Christmas. Not every, people are people. Huh. But it's an easier Christmas if you have Jesus in common. So blessings on you. But there's a lot of people sitting in the rows next to you. They're the only Christian in their house. And they're gonna go hang out with everybody who thinks that they're idiots for going to church on Sunday and altering their life from who they used to be so they could honor God with who they are now. Just so you know, you don't put family ahead of God, ever. Jesus didn't. There's this little small uh, section of the book of Mark where uh, Mark writes in his gospel that uh, Jesus was uh, just starting his uh, ministry years and he had just chosen his disciples here in Mark chapter 3 and in verse 21. His family heard about it, this, this initiation of his ministry. And, and they went out to seize him, it says. Mary and, and, and Jesus' stepbrothers went to find him. And, and this was their reason, because Jesus has lost his mind. Our brother 
It's supposed to be back in Nazareth building us some tables. But he's walking around Galilee with a bunch of fishermen, apparently, uh, preaching a message that is contrary to what we've learned in our synagogues for our whole life as Jews. Jesus has lost his mind. Do you remember how Jesus reacted to this assessment of his <laughs> you know, uh, mental state? In Luke 8, it, it kind of gives us a picture of what he thought about his mothers and brothers who you know, uh, perhaps saw him as a kook. Uh, in verse 19 of Luke 8, it says, his mother and brothers came to him and they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told by someone in the crowd, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you in that culture. That would be a drop everything. Go say hi to the fam. But Jesus says this in response to hearing that his mother and brothers are waiting to see him. He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. In another portion of scripture, he says, unless you hate your mother and your father in comparison to your love for me and my father, you have no part of me. Everybody see where Jesus has drawn the line? Father over family. Uh, I'll spend some time in the coming year talking about how uh, our society in general, the people at large, are increasing the pressure on us as Christians to move away from the things that we have long held to as commanded by God in his scripture. Politically, things are uh, heading in directions that will make us not just the disagreed with, but we are now the enemies in many cases of the state the problem where long, uh, you know, over history, we've been the solution in so many ways. We're going to hold to standards and positions in Scripture that our culture just doesn't see as valid any longer. And we're going to feel the, the heat of that more and more. I'm, I'm not a prophet, but, but I can read my headlines. That's where things are heading. And here's what I'll tell you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived in a similar type culture. Different stuff, but same situations where the, the world was against the young church. The world was against the ideas that teaches, uh, Jesus taught. And so he said to his first followers the same thing that he says to us 2,000 years after. If the world hates you, John 15, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they hated me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, guess what? They will also keep yours. If they're with us, they're with us, but if they're not, they're not. Now this is not me saying, Everybody go home and post up, bring it on, you know, to the world, all right? But I am saying expect an increase in the persecution that we face and stand with God no matter what the woke world pushes on top of you. Whatever the case, whether it be us idolizing and preferring friends over God, us uh, defaulting to our family over the Father, us succumbing to the society that we live in over sticking with the truth that God has given us. My, my hope for you, my hope for me, is that we will care more about what God thinks of us than we would care about what people think of us. Why? Because when we care most about what God thinks of us, 
It keeps us from, uh, it keeps us, uh, let me say this again. You should care most about what God thinks of you. Why? Here we go. It will keep you for living from people. Here, can I, this is where I want to get. If I'm facing this way, I'm not facing that way. Is everybody picking this up? I mean, even online, you can kind of see this. My body and face are pointed this way. I have no idea what's going on behind me, right? Because my focus is here, not here. If my focus is on honoring God and putting him first in life, guess what kind of fades into the background and becomes not even visible to me? Your opinion of me, your expectations of me. I don't have the, the room on my screen for it. My focus is on my God and honoring him. And so I, nothing personal, I just can't be bothered with. I don't even see the things that you expect of me. Oh, that we'd have this focus. Oh, that we would live for this audience of one. Oh, that we would be said, or that this would be said of us at the end of our lives. In fact, we've kind of appropriated this uh, for the picture that we have of what it will be like to cross into glory and, and, and enjoy eternity, uh, eternity with the God who has saved us. Uh, there's this parable that Jesus teaches in Matthew 25 about these, these servants, these three servants. He entrusts in the parable, the master entrusts these servants with different amounts of money. They're called talents. Two of them take the talents and they essentially double the amount that they've been given before the master comes to receive their increase. One of them buries it in the backyard, no good. Everybody with me on that? But the two that, that make an increase of what the master has invested in them, uh, he, they come to him and they say, here's master, here's the increase. And the master says this well-known Christian phrase about these servants, well done, say it with me, my good and faithful servant. And we've kind of taken that parable and we said, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be cool if that's what God says to those of us who pass from this life into the next. When he, when he, when he examines the things that we've accomplished for him in his name, when, we, when he sees that we put him first ahead of people and their opinions, of us, wouldn't it be great if he said to us, well done, my good and faithful servant? Who wants to hear that from the God who made them? Yeah, that'd be cool, right? I don't have any evidence of this, but it would not surprise me that when Joseph passed from this life as an Old Testament saint, as a follower of God before Jesus died, he had faith, and that's faith is what saves. He had trusted God, and, and as he passed from this life to the next, I picture God himself, the one who sends the angel to affirm the plan, that God himself greets Joseph and says that phrase, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's why. Let's read the story as it unfolds in Matthew chapter 1. Joseph's a just man. He doesn't want to put Mary to shame. He wants to divorce her quietly. But verse 20, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Uh, God knew that Joseph would have a hard time picking up what Mary was putting down. He'd have a hard time accepting uh, without a sign. And so he sends this messenger. That's what angel means. Angelos in Greek is messenger. And the message that the angel brings is, hey, it's just like Mary says. Yes, she's pregnant, but God's behind it. You can trust her story and move forward with her in life. Uh, I'd love for every decision to be accompanied by an angel. Would anybody like that? Wouldn't that be cool? Do I zig or do I zag? Angel, zig, I'm with you, let's go. It's not how it works in the life that we live, right? 
But we are not without signs. I hope you see them. As God grants them to you as you walk in the directions that he's pointing you to, I hope you see them. Seven and a half years ago, we're just hanging out minding our own business as a church, and we find out of a, another church just about three miles that direction that is struggling. They're about to close their doors. We've done ministry with them in the past in lots of different ways, uh, providing you know, uh, um, you know, uh, help to the community through their uh, campus, but uh, their pastor is retiring. He's no longer able to serve. There's 14 members left. And there's just no way that they could possibly keep up the church, pay a pastor, continue ministry. And so they're at this, this crucial crossroads in their existence. And they've exhausted every other measure. And so they, they seek, because they want ministry to continue to happen on this, you know, uh, in this section of town, they, they seek a partner church. And it falls you know, through the cracks and other churches' uh, you know, um, vision plans to, to us. And First Baptist Church of Mango and the leadership of Bay Life Church sat down and talked about what this could look like. And seven and a half years ago, we both felt like God wanted us to move forward. Kudos on them that they would be willing to let, you know, a relatively younger buck pastor and his team of leaders kind of shepherd things and move things in different directions than they were used to. It was not without its hiccups. Several. Ups and downs that we, if we had time, could chronicle. But can I just fast forward to the seven and a half years? They're meeting right now. Across the way, uh, there is uh, between 12 and 14 times the number of people that we started with hanging out there on a Sunday morning. There's a pastor who loves his people there that God provided out of nowhere. Uh, there is uh, hope for a future where they will be an independent church again in a new facility, on a new plot of land, with money in the bank to build the next building. Uh, they are uh, forming their first elder team. And they are well on their way to becoming their own church. The chapel, as we call it, in Mango, is one of these stories where along the way, as God provided his affirmations, we kept going, and it's become what it's become by his grace, solely by his grace, but through the obedience of his people. Does everybody see how all the time in the Bible God just comes to ordinary people like you and me and he awaits or, or holds back the great things that he wants to do until an ordinary person just says yes and does an act of obedience in order for this to occur? Hmm. God knew Joe would need the help and so he sent an angel. He didn't just send an angel to affirm the message of Mary. He sent an angel to remind Joseph of uh, the promises of Scripture. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus' name means Yahweh saves, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew comments on this for his readers and he says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. We know it to be Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14 of his book. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love the promises of scripture. You guys love the promises of scripture? Here's some of my favorites. I will never leave you or forsake you. Anybody like that one? It's a good one for the dark night of the soul, right? In, in Romans, Paul says we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Anybody like being more than a conqueror? In the book of Lamentations, this guy Jeremiah, one of the prophets who wrote his own book, uh, is writing about uh, you know, the, the, the plight of Israel. Jerusalem lies in ruins and he's sitting in the, in the wreckage and he pens Lamentations 3, 
uh, 22 and 23, which says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Isn't that great? In the midst of the ruins, the prophet says, here's the promise. His mercies are new every morning. I don't know where you are in life, what's happening in your world. If you feel the pressure of fitting in with people uh, who would lead you in directions that are not your God. Maybe you're a young person. High school and college is taking it out of you. Maybe you're not a young person and you still wrestle with those kinds of feelings. Let me tell you the story of this song that we're gonna sing as I close. I'm 21 years old, I get a guitar for my birthday. I didn't go on a bar crawl, I got a guitar. It's just months before that that I had come online with Jesus. I went to a Christian school. Uh, I was was taking Christian classes at Moody Bible Institute, but I was far from Jesus, barely Christian is what I called myself. But then one day, I'm just hanging out in a service kind of like this, and all of a sudden, the floodgates opened. The Bible became uh, 3D, vivid color, and I just couldn't stop reading it. I had like three or four quiet times a day, and as a result, got kind of radical in my choices. I'd hung out with friends all through my years at college that uh, were kind of like me. They were nominal in their faith. They, they sought to break the rules, not keep them. And uh, immediately, kind of overnight, uh, I changed in lots of ways. They didn't like it. They shunned me. <laughs> it's kind of childish. It's funny, two of them were walking past me in the quad there at our school, and they, they acted like they didn't even see me. It's like, what are you, 12? What's going on right now? One of them's a pastor now. He'd laugh at that story if he was listening to this. But, uh, but that's what I went, and so I went back to the room that I had there at that school, and I grabbed this guitar, not this one, but the one I had when I started. I knew three chords, and I just started playing them. feeling kind of shunned, I just started singing. You do that, right? All the time, right? Came out like this. People say I'm crazy, wanting to be more and more like you. I don't care what they say, Lord. All that matters to me is you. That's it. One of the first songs I ever wrote, using the only three chords I knew at the time. Here's my hope in us singing it today. You know how songs can kind of become earworms? Like, oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine, you blow my mind. Hey, Mickey. All right, let's try to get that one out. Can we try to get that one out? I was getting ready to preach this message yesterday, and I hadn't thought about this song, I don't know, years? And I'm like, oh yeah. I picked up my guitar and started playing this. And the rest of the afternoon and I was getting ready to preach last night, I just kept singing this. People say I'm crazy, wanting to be more and more like you. I don't care what they say, Lord. All that matters to me is you. Can you stand up, we'll sing this as we go. Everybody got it? It's coming out on my album. I'm going to drop it in February on Spotify. It goes like this. 
People say I'm crazy, wanting to be more and more like you. I don't care what they say, Lord. All that matters to me is you. So I sat in my dorm room that night and I just kept playing this. And I just kept singing that last line. All that matters to me is you. 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 And here's where the earworm comes in. I pray you're driving home today and over the din of the game or whatever else is on your radio, you just hear this in your head. All that matters to me is you. All that matters to me is you. And that when you go to work tomorrow, and you're hanging out with your friends, maybe it's the Christmas office lunch or whatever, and they're talking about what they always talk about, and you've never really outed yourself as a Christian, and they start down that same path, telling those same jokes, and you have one, and you know you probably shouldn't, here's what I pray. You're saying, all that matters to me is you. All that matters to me is you. Yeah. I pray this sticks in your head. You know why? Because this is God's hope for your life. That in your life, it wouldn't matter what people think. That all that would matter is him. One more time. People say I'm crazy. Wanting to be more and more like you. I don't care what they say, Lord. All that matters to me is you. 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 God, that's our prayer today, that you'd be first, that we'd care more about what you think than people do, that you'd have all of us in every place, that all that would matter to us is you. Amen? See you Christmas Eve.